Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Chirltow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today are two speakers for the upcoming 2023 Compliance and Ethics Institute. We have Melanie Sponholtz, who's Chief Compliance Officer at Wad Capital Partners, and Amy Barner Vaughn, who's partner at Kaplan Walker. And they'll be discussing the topic, show me the money, getting paid what you're worth. I have no doubt that will be a very packed session at the meeting. Uh, first, Amy, Melanie, thanks for doing the session and taking the time to talk to us today. Happy to. Yeah, our pleasure. Well, I'm sure a lot of people are definitely looking forward to this session. Glad we can touch on some of the topics of it here. Uh, Melanie, why don't we start with you? I, I think most everyone in every job other than a few professional athletes thinks they're underpaid. <laughs> How do you know, though, if the perception really reflects reality? Well, I, I think that's an important question um, because I think sometimes if you act on perception alone, you could it could backfire on you. So you should you should try to get some factual understanding of, of what market is for your skill set and your role. Um, so I think there's a few things. I mean, I think a lot of us, uh, especially, you know, those of our generation, you know, we're kind of hardwired to feel like it was a no, no to talk about salaries. But I think talking about salaries with peer groups can be really empowering and informative. Um, I also think uh, Amy and I uh, were talking about this when we were getting ready for our presentation and and uh, she laughed at me because I said, you know, just because you're not hungry doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. And <laughs> what I was talking about is, you know, it doesn't hurt to talk to recruiters sometimes to, you know, find out what salary ranges are for jobs that might be something that were a fit for you. Uh, I think knowledge is power. So I think you should try to get real data points and you can do that to some extent on some online resources like Glassdoor or Indeed, but the best, the best ways are talking to peers, I think, and also just getting yourself out there in the market a little bit and talking to people like recruiters who can really give you accurate information. And I just add one thing to that, which is uh, if you go on to the SEC or HCCA website under the publication, I mean, excuse me, under the surveys, you'll find uh, our, our surveys, including the salary survey, which can give you indicative information of you know, what the market is. And if you remember, you can actually do some custom searches there. Great point, Adam. That's another really good resource. So let's say that resource and the research from talking to recruiters and, and what you're finding out from your peers indicates you are underpaid. What's the best way to make your case for an increase? Well, I always think, I mean, speaking for myself, I think that going in to talk to your supervisor or whoever it is that you need to speak with about getting a pay increase, I think it's always advantageous to put the focus on why it's good for them to give you the increase. So, you know, what are you gonna contribute? What are you contributing and what will you be contributing in the future to the organization that's really worth paying for? Um, and, and keeping it on a really positive, upbeat, like, hey, I'm excited about what I can do for you. And I think it would be fair to compensate me in this way for that. Um, because I think, you know, a lot of times conversations about 
um, pay and, and asking for more of it can be very awkward, anxiety-producing conversations for, for both the asker and, and the receiver of that question. So the more you can keep it upbeat and focused on value for them and the organization, I think the, the more likely it is that they will relax and give you a more positive outcome. I completely agree with what Melanie said, and I have a six-step process around this. The first is educate yourself on your company's approach to compensation. Every company has a compensation philosophy and a pay structure. And so sometimes a company, for example, will pay 50% to market. So even if you know what the market range is, they may not be at the top of the range or at the bottom of the range. It's important to know that even when you've got your data that Melanie shared earlier that I completely agree with. The second is to know where your position fits into the job family for your area so you know what your growth capacity is. The second, I would say, is when you ask is really important. You want to find out when pay increases are given, and I'd start the conversation about six months earlier so that you can get your data in a row and kind of put it on the table and give your manager a heads up that you're interested in talking about this. Second, you bring your data. Third, I would say know where you stand. This is often overlooked in, in pay raises, but all jobs have a pay range and whether you're on the high or low end um, is important to already know so that you don't have blind spots about, about where you might be and where you can grow. And then I also think knowing your reputation, candid and frequent talks with your boss, formal 360 feedback assessment can make sure that you're both viewing your performance through the same lens because your performance is also gonna be related to whether someone's gonna sponsor or go to bat for you. And then I would keep the conversation professional. Melanie has talked about this. You know, it's really important to stay curious, polite. I think a lot of people go in thinking they're going to battle and they don't uh, necessarily understand that it's an ongoing conversation. Sometimes a company can do part of a raise one year, part the next year, and you just have to be realistic because if you're in a pre-IPO startup, you know, they're not going to be managed the same way. You might be able to get a big bump if you're doing well, but that's different than an established Fortune 500, which has a lot of structure and a lot of layers of approval required. You know, I like the, that advice because there's things, you know, that are sort of a list of things to do, but we also have to be aware of the what not to do. And obviously the flip side of the things you said would fall into that category. But Amy, are, are there other mistakes that can really hurt your cause? Yeah, the win-win idea that Melanie also alluded to in the beginning is, is the best one. I find a lot of people get a lot of pent-up anger and then they kind of almost explode around the pay issue. They've either felt that they haven't been compensated for a while. Of course, we're all concerned about pay equity across gender and, and race and ethnicity and other um, underrepresented demographics. And so that can, can lead to distrust. And so I think that going into a conversation, you really have to have a partnership mindset. If you don't trust your company at all, and you really do feel you have to fight, then, then you may need to do that. But then if you don't get what you want, you may need to then be, you know, I think, looking to leave. If you have more of a long game approach, it's better to create a psychologically safety zone for your leader. Managers hate talking about pay almost as much as they hate giving performance appraisals. There are some rare exceptions, but it's uncomfortable. And that's why I say separate the performance from the pay conversation 
and have the pay discussion earlier to just check in. You don't want to do it when your manager's exhausted, has already run out of budget, possibly didn't get the money they asked for for you or others, and they've been beaten down and, and it's a tough year. You need to know the macroeconomic environment. You need to show that you're thoughtful and be more empathetic with your manager and really look for body language around, you know, what's, I like to think of it as, let's have a discussion. This is my data that I've found. What's possible here? Like, what do you see happening? I know we had huge supply chain issues, or I know we just merged with another company or we're losing in this area. So like, what do you see as my one to three year trajectory in earnings capacity? You know, stay curious. Your goal is to get as much information as you can so that you can then be in the driver's seat around the decision. I find too many people go in and they just throw up all over the conversation. They talk too much, they're driving it, and they're not they're not actively listening and watching to see, like a negotiator really would, where's my inroad here? Where can I make a deal? Where can I make an offer that's a win-win? And what's the timing? I I was just gonna say I also think that uh that going back to the the keeping it positive and and focusing on the value that you can deliver that deserves compensation. I think a lot of people make the mistake of using the argument that they know that other people are making, you know, this much money or more money. And it's not really that that never goes in a positive direction in my experience that that really is a is a turnoff uh, mm -hmm. and a shutdown to that conversation. You want to really keep it focused on your relationship, your value. Um, otherwise, I think it's too easy to aggravate your supervisor or your boss uh, to to have bad you know feelings arise in that conversation. So I would steer clear of that comparison game. I totally agree, Melanie. And the, one other thing Adam I'd mention is a lot of people overvalue their technical expertise and don't realize that at a certain level, I'd say, say director, VP and above, it's all about the relationships at that point. And I've, I've written about that extensively. You know, it's not about your certifications or your expertise at that point. That's a ticket to the game. It's about how you can leverage others and manage others and achieve through a team orientation, especially as you approach the C-suite. Well, and on the subject of relationship, I think one of the important things that comes through from what you both said is you don't want to ruin the relationship in going yeah. through this process because that doesn't help anyone. Now, Amy, let me ask you a follow-up question. One sensitive area is when the organization asks you to take on additional responsibilities. You know, for example, maybe you're the chief compliance officer, I want to make you the chief privacy officer too and take on privacy. Sometimes that can call for an increase, sometimes not. How do you know and how do you ask for the increase if it's warranted? And, and, and how do you say no if you don't feel like you'll be compensated fairly for all the extra responsibility? Yeah, great question. This has been increasingly frequent due to the pandemic, macroeconomic climate, the rise of ESG, privacy, EHS, and many companies have just said, oh, you know, we, let's just add this to CNA. Um, so you can kind of hear the dump truck backing up into your backyard and is, is there money attached or no, right? Um, so know the market ahead of time, read the tea leaves to, to, to listen for the beep, beep, if that's coming into your, you know, into your driveway, I would say, and be ready. Um, 
if you are asked and it's clear that they're not, that they are hoping you're not going to ask or that you, that they haven't actually thought of the money, I would ask, you know, at the time I said, this sounds fantastic. I would love additional responsibility. What do you think regarding my title? And what do you think regarding compensation? How do you, you know, have you scoped, you know, I, I'm happy to get back to you and scope on that. And I would wait to see if they're like, uh, or if they're like, great, do that. And that's fantastic. Obviously, if you get the latter answer, go to town, get data, come back with a proposal for what your salary and title should be. If there's kind of a laggardly response, um, you might want to negotiate a timeline. You might say, okay, I'm willing to do this for six months. And then at that point, I'd like to renegotiate my title and salary if you all think this is a going concern and this is situated in the right space. And then I think at that point, you really have to dig down and share either what you'd have to cut from your current area or what resources you'd need and what pay and compensation would be appropriate. Now, if you still don't get it, and I've had clients who have and who haven't, and I help them out with this, you have to look at the long game. Let's say, Adam, they give you ESG and they say, we just don't have the funding. And you look at it and you say, okay, that's either I disagree with that or I agree with that, but I want this because for my next jump in say two to three years or whatever your timeline is, that'll be fantastic because I'll have that title and the experience. So I'm going to go ahead and suck it up and I'm going to develop an incredible program around this network. I'm going to have the title and I'm going to get paid for it in my next job. And that's a, a great point there because it reminds you that not only do you want the company to make an investment in you, but you also have to make an investment in you periodically and it pays to think in those terms. Now, finally, uh, Melanie, cash isn't the only form of compensation. What else should, should compliance people be thinking about? Um, well, I think this is a, that's a great question for, for everyone. And I don't think it's even unique to compliance and ethics professionals. I think, you know, when you make, when you sit down and, and think intentionally about, you know, what you want out of your life as a whole and how your work life fits into that picture. I mean, I think there are a lot of other things you can look at as, I mean, especially today, post pandemic there, you know, there's a lot more flexibility around hybrid positions or remote positions and you know is there some advantage to a certain role because it allows you the flexibility of you know where you live or how much time you're spending in an office um, what else factors into the compensation other than the salary i mean some of it is your basics like you know your benefits or you know, your, your uh, 401k but also things like does this company invest in professional development, you know, for instance, you know, will they, will they pay for you to continue your education or to attend conferences or, you know, think, things like that, that will help you continue to grow professionally. Um, what, what's the work-life balance like at the organization? If, if you can get a beat on that, you know, through your, either because you're already there or through the interview process somehow, but as far as do people take their PTO, for instance, or, um, you know, will it, will it give you overall the things that are important to you? Um, and then of course there are other, you know, forms of compensation, like would you, could you potentially have, um, stock or 
um, some kind of options in the company or what's their incentive compensation uh, program. But I think I think you should take a few steps back and look at that whole broad range of what are you really getting out of this job other than just the, the salary. Well, uh, Melanie, Amy, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I'm looking forward to hearing more at the 2023 Compliance and Ethics Institute. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>